All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 10 today, please. Matthew chapter 10. Working our way through the book of Matthew. Looking at the theme of the kingdom that Jesus promised, the kingdom that he brought. And this is a special chapter where Jesus commissions his 12 disciples. Now, last week, we spoke about the fact that all of us are called to be disciples of Jesus. We spoke about discipleship. We looked at chapters 8 and 9, and we saw the discipleship themes throughout that, those chapters. And this morning, that's really going to continue, and it's really part two of that. And I want to speak about kingdom ambassadors today. If last week we spoke about kingdom followers, this week we're going to see ourselves as kingdom ambassadors. But let's read together Matthew chapter 10, and we'll read the first several verses. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew the publican. That's the author of the, the, author of the book of Matthew, and he, we saw him called last week. If you remember that, we saw the, um, that portion where he sat there and Jesus took him in and embraced him. And he, it's interesting that he refers to himself as the publican here. The humility. He, I don't think he ever got over who he was before Jesus saved him. James, the son of Alphaeus. So there's two James, or two Jameses. I don't know. James, what, how is it supposed to go, man? Is it James? James? Or Jameses? We... There's two of them, either way, so you still haven't figured it out. All right. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, so we have another Simon here, there's Simon Peter and then Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Isn't it interesting in here that it says that Jesus gave them power and it seems as if even Judas had the power at that time that Jesus had given him. And even Judas was able to, he would go and preach and he would teach. And, but the whole time all along, he's a pretender. He's not a true follower of Jesus. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, it wasn't that Jesus didn't care for the Gentiles, in fact, or the Samaritans. In fact, in Jesus' ministry, one of the unique things is that he actually spent time with Gentiles and with Samaritans. But there was an order, there was a divine order to the ministry of Jesus. The message of the Messiah had to first go to the Jews, and then it would go to the Gentiles. And so that was the mission of 
the disciples, it was to spread the good news to all of the people of Israel that Messiah had come, that the kingdom was at hand. Verse 7, and as ye go, could you say this word with me? As ye go, preach. The word means to proclaim, to publish publicly, to make known. And all disciples of Jesus are called to be preachers. Every single one of us. Now, maybe not in the sense of being a uh, quote-unquote professional pastor or evangelist, but we're all given this mission to go into all the world, Mark 16, 15, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, proclaim the good news. That is the core identity of, or the core mission of who a Christian is. It's a disciple is, it's someone who goes and proclaims the good news of Jesus. We do a really uh, cool thing during our, during our adult Bible class on Sunday mornings, and that is we take time before the class starts to share stories of our preaching. Now, we don't say that exactly. We say, hey, does anyone have a testimony of someone that they've given the gospel to or maybe they've given a little Christian book to or a Bible to or they've given a tract to? Is there maybe you've invited someone to church and we go around and we pray and we talk about the mission of preaching the gospel. And all those years ago, in 1982, when this, this mission was established here in North Adams, when this church was founded, the mission was to proclaim the gospel to as many people as possible. And God has given us this building for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel. He's given us our vehicles to the bus and our van to go out and to use those as tools to proclaim the gospel. Let's never forget that that is what we are here for, to be gospel proclaimers, gospel preachers. That is why, almost without exception, if you ever come to a worship service here at Mount Greylock Baptist Church, you will always hear, no matter what the topic of the sermon is, at some point in that sermon, you will hear a call for people to repent and believe the gospel the good news, because that is our ministry, is to see people give their lives to Christ and be saved from their sins. In fact, it is called the ministry of reconciliation. If you have your notes this morning, I gave you an, an additional passage on the front. Paul, the apostle, he understood this mission of reconciliation. God revealed it to him. And I want to show you kind of a parallel passage this morning. We'll come back to Matthew 10, but I want you to notice 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. And all things are of God, who hath, let's say this word, who hath what? Reconciled. What does that mean? To reconcile is to bring a relationship back into a state of harmony. There is a broken relationship. Who is the, between what parties is the relationship broken? It is between God and humanity. The relationship between God and humanity is broken. You see, we are not born into this world in a right relationship with God. We are born into this world in a broken relationship with God. 
Now, what is it that has broken the relationship with God? Sin. Sin. The sin that we've inherited from our ancestors and the sin that we personally choose to commit. That sin has broken our relationship with God. We sang this morning, holy, 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 are you Lord God Almighty. He is a holy God and we are a sinful people. However, Jesus came to bring reconciliation. Jesus came. The whole part point of Jesus coming was not to just show us a better way of living. Jesus came to reconcile sinful men and women with a holy God so that we could be brought into relationship with him. It's a wonderful thing. You will hear, you will hear Christian leaders talk about a relationship with God. You need to have a personal relationship with God. Now, how many of you have you've heard that a lot? We need to have a personal... But let me, let me just be really careful about this. Yes, we enjoy a personal relationship with God through Jesus, but there has to be a point when that relationship begins. Because you are not born in this world in a right relationship with God. You have to be reconciled to God through Christ. You have to be saved. You have to be born again. That is, that's the gospel. The good news that you, you are once an enemy of God, but now you can become his child. Simply put, that's the Christian message. That we are reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing or not counting their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word. Now this is where it gets to you and I as believers. Jesus came to reconcile the world to God. But then for us, he's given us the word of reconciliation. What do we mean, the word of reconciliation? Well, you might say the whole Bible, and that would not be incorrect, but specifically the word of reconciliation is the gospel. The gospel must be presented in words. It must be explained. Yes, people need to see the gospel in our actions, but people must, people must see the gospel or hear the gospel in our word. Because it's we've been given this word of reconciliation. Okay, now it all sums up in this beautiful statement, verse number 20. Now then, we are ambassadors. Could you say that with me? Ready, begin. We are ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. What is that? What's happening there? In verse number 20, what's happening is this. Jesus says, you are my ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador goes to a foreign place and represents the one who sent them. Does the ambassador speak of themselves? Does the ambassador have their own personal agenda? No, the ambassador is there on behalf of the one who sent them. And you and I, 
if we know Christ as our Savior, if we are followers of Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent the Lord Jesus Christ. And our whole life is to be just like this. It's like God is saying through us. It's like the voice of God coming through us. Hey, I pray you, I beg you, I ask you, would you be reconciled to God? Every person I meet, I should have the desire in my heart to have an opportunity to say, if, if, Joe, if Joe is somebody that doesn't know Jesus, my whole life should be, hey, you can be reconciled to God through Christ. That's what I do. That's what you are to do. That's what we are to do. I say that's what I do. I mean, in, not every day, not every opportunity, but that's the desire of my heart, and it should be the desire of every Christian's heart. Say, hey, I have a mission of reconciliation. What, a, what an amazing thing to be an ambassador for Jesus. If you got a, if you got a, um, if there are people right now that are posturing politically and they are making endorsements politically because they are just hoping that once some administration, whichever administration it is that takes office, maybe they'll get a cushy cabinet post or maybe they'll get to be the ambassador to, I don't know, where would you like to be the ambassador to? I can think of a lot of, a great, a lot of great places I would want to be the ambassador to. And there's people, because it would be a high honor for the President of the United States to say, hey, I would like you to represent your country. Well, it's a greater and higher calling that you and I are ambassadors of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We represent Jesus Christ. Now that is a high honor, but it's also a high responsibility, isn't it? It is. I was, uh, <laughs> I was at a basketball game last night. And um, how many of you, uh, you know, you watch your kids, your grandkids, your nieces or nephews play sports, and you may get a little, has anybody ever been frustrated with a coach or a, F, a, refer, or a, a coach or a referee or, you know, is, that, is it just me? I'm the only one? Oh, okay. There are a few of you. Okay. Now, what's really, what's really funny, and I won't tell you what I was frustrated about, Okay. But I was sitting in the state and on the same team as my that my son plays on with another Christian brother, actually another pastor who has his son on the same team as my son. And we sit we sit together and we talk at the games and stuff, and it's a good time. And we were both getting frustrated with the exact same thing. I know that you all are much more spiritual than I, but we're both getting, and we're just kind of like making those little side comments, and shaking our heads a little bit and doing all that. And we're looking at each other and we both kind of had the same reaction. Like, we just need to maintain our testimony right now. That's our number one goal in this moment. But it, it, is, a, it is a challenging thing, isn't it? To think about that we're ambassadors for Christ. And you're wondering what happened. Nothing happened. We kept our cool. It all went, it all went fine. And you know what? The sun came out this morning. It all worked out. It's all good. Um, but it's a, big, it's a big deal to realize that my life and my words are called to represent Jesus. Now, the disciples here, they're given this, the first, they're the first ambassadors of Jesus. The first ones. And they're sent into all the land to preach and do all these amazing things. And we'll talk a little bit about that, but... I just want you to think about that this morning. 
We are ambassadors for Christ. Let's just say that one more time together. Ready? We are ambassadors for Christ. It's a ministry of reconciliation. My opinion about a situation, my opinion as to the level of service in the restaurant or the service that the contractor provided or the behavior of the person at the stoplight, all of those things must never threaten my main ministry, which is to be an ambassador of Jesus. So, there's some principles in this passage that I want to show you today with the rest of the time that we have. So back to Matthew chapter 10. Back to Matthew chapter 10. Let's look at verse 7. Matthew 10 and verse number 7. I'm going to give you four principles, four principles for being an ambassador for Christ today. First of all, I want you to see this, and these are all in the back of your notes today. Number one, number one, access your kingdom power. Access your kingdom power. I want you to see verse number eight, what Jesus tells them. In verse number eight, um, he says, all right, you're going to go out, you're going to preach the kingdom, you're going to let everybody know this good news. In verse number eight, but what you're going to do is you're going to, well, actually back it up to verse seven, because this is interesting. The primary mission is to preach. As ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But then, verse number eight, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, if I am Simon Peter or Andrew all, or James or John, all I've ever done occupationally up to this point in time is catch fish. All I've done is I know all about nets and I know all about I know all about nets and I know all about boats. And if you've got a leak in your vessel, I could come and patch it up for you. And if you need your nets mended, and if you need to study some techniques on how to catch fish, I'm Peter, James, or John, or Andrew, I could help you with that. But if you need to be healed from your sickness, never done that before. If you've got a demon, never cast any of those out before. I've never done any miracles because... My family just aren't miracle workers. It's just not what we do. But Jesus says, you've got kingdom power. You've got kingdom authority. Now, I have taught on these types of things many times, many times. So I'm just going to give a little disclaimer. And this is not the purpose of the message. I do not believe, as I study the scripture, that all believers have access to that same type of power or that same application of power, I should say. I think as you study the scriptures, there's a specific purpose for the apostles to have this miraculous ability. So I don't believe that a completely unrestrained, miraculous experience should be what we look for when we look for the power of God. And I could, if you want to talk about that, I'd love to do an in-depth Bible study on that. But I do believe that the same Holy Spirit that gave those 12 disciples the ability to heal the sick and and to minister to those who were deaf and to give sight to the blind and to cast out devils, I do believe that it's the same Holy Spirit who lives inside of me that gave them that power. Do you believe that? It's the same. 
And while God may not have given you and your ministry, God may not have given you the ability to do supernatural signs and wonders, I can tell you this, the Holy Spirit has given you power, has given you power to do things on your mission for Christ that you never could have imagined yourself doing before. Never, ever. That you will be able to have conversations with people about Jesus that you thought, wow, I can't believe this. Five years ago, I never would have imagined myself doing this. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us that ability. The word power, we, we looked at one use of power, which is the word um, that means authority several weeks ago. But as you read the epistles, you find another word for power. It's the Greek word dunamis. It's from which we get the English word dynamite. Now, it's, but that can be a bit confusing. It doesn't mean that we just have this explosive, boom, power. The literal meaning of the word is power or ability to accomplish. Ability to accomplish. Study your New Testament and you'll find that the Holy Spirit has gifted each and every believer with the ability to accomplish whatever God has called you to do. Philippians 4.13, you see this on posters and, uh, and um, uh, um, athletes like to quote it sometimes. Philippians 4.13, I can do, does anybody know how it goes? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That verse isn't about climbing a mountain or skiing down a hill or shooting a basketball. That verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, means that whatever God has called you to do, he's given you the power to do it. And so, listen, we as Christians, somebody could say, somebody could say, well, how, how are you doing, brother? How are you doing, sister? Well, under the circumstances, I'm doing pretty well. I heard a friend say, or a pastor say recently, well, what are you doing under the circumstances? You see, you and I have access to kingdom power, power to overcome the difficulty that we face, power to be encouraged in the Lord even when our life seems overwhelming. There is kingdom Holy Spirit power available to you. You have to access it. You have to believe God that he's given you what you need for the situation that you face and the calling that he's called you to. And we have to believe that as a church as well. Number one, the disciples, if they're going to be, if we're going to be effective ambassadors for Christ, we've got to access that kingdom power. Number two, this morning, we're called to live by faith. Live by faith. Look at what Jesus says to them as he continues. Verse number nine. In verse number nine, he says this. All right, I'm going to send you on this mission. You're going to do amazing things. But verse number nine, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves. Now, without getting into all of the specifics, what are these things? They're provisions. They're material supplies, money, extra clothes. Now, if you were going out, it just would, why does Jesus say not to do this? Because if you were getting ready for a trip, what would you do? Pack your bags, check your bank account, get ready. 
You would make all these preparations in advance. You'd be like, because why? Because you'd be, because what happens is we default into human effort mode. In fact, that, that, that happens to me all the time. And so if you ever see me do something like I did in the service today, where it's like, all right, let's just stop for a minute. Let's have a word of prayer. Let's just quiet it down. It's because I catch myself, and maybe you were, maybe you were just feeling the presence of the Spirit the whole service, but I had to stop for a minute and say, wait a minute. Like, I'm just, I'm just moving through this thing this morning. I'm just getting through this list of things that have to get done. We've got to sing these songs and talk about this topic and make these announcements and do all these things. Why? Because I think like a human being. And if I'm not careful, I miss the fact that God is trying to accomplish something. And what am I doing? I'm getting in his way. Now, I know little me can't stop what God is doing, right? Like God's going to do what he's going to do. But from my human perspective, it's like, like, wait a minute. Like, yes, you've got to do all these things, but God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. And so, okay, you're an ambassador for Christ. Peter, James, John, uh, and all the other names. All you guys, you're going to go out and you're going you're gonna to do all these things. All right, let's get ready to go, boys. Who's got the bags packed? Who's got this? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. You're going to go about this a totally different way. And from a human standpoint, you're going to do this the wrong way. Because you're not going to pack your bags. You're not going to save any extra money. You're not going to bring an extra pair of shoes or an extra coat. What you're going to do is you're going to trust God by faith. You're going to believe God. Now, this is a tension that we have to manage. If you study the book of Proverbs, you'll find tons of principles for careful planning and wisdom. And Jesus even taught at one point. At one point, Jesus even said, um, who builds a tower and doesn't sit down and count the cost? Or who goes to war and doesn't have a plan? So it's not that planning is never part of what we do. But it is that we have to be so careful that we don't so plan and regiment our lives that we stop living by faith. And he says, the workman is worthy of his hire. Do you understand what he means by that? He means you are just going to trust. The workman is worthy of his food, his meat. You are just going to trust that where you go and preach, the people are what? They're going to take care of you. You're going to be on my mission. And when you go on my mission, these people are going to take care of you. How many of you independent New England or Northeasterners, how many of you are really good at depending on other people? You know what I'm saying? It's like, no, thank you. I'll take care of myself. I'll make a plan. I don't need your charity. I'll be okay. I'll take care of me. Well, I don't think we're unique in that. We have this self-sufficiency, this, I've got to take care of my needs. And Jesus tells them right now, you've got to live by faith. You've got to let go and you've got to trust me. That if I've called you to do something, I'm going to provide for you. That's so important in our lives. And the applications here could go in so many different ways. But sometimes we've just got to stop worrying. Fortunately, we're just a couple chapters away from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said, don't think so much about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. I'll take care of you. In fact, our theme verse on the front of your handout is Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
You cannot be inordinately concerned with your possessions and material and status and career and live by faith. Now, all of those things have a place in our lives. You ought to work hard. You ought to save. You ought to provide for your family. You ought to leave an inheritance for your children, your grandchildren. You ought to do all of those things so long as they don't crowd out a life of faith. Live by faith. Can I ask you a question? And there's plenty of places for you to write notes today on here. When we say live by faith, what is the last thing you did by faith? Your last decision that was a faith decision. Could you think of it? Go ahead, take a minute. Think of it. The last thing that I did by faith. If you're like, well, I can't think in a quiet in the middle of the service here, write it down and ask yourself later. Be like, what was the last thing I did by faith? Hopefully you, hopefully you can think of something. But just ask yourself, what, it, what was it? We are ambassadors for Christ. We are kingdom, kingdom ambassadors. We've got his power. And we can trust him. He says in verse 11, Into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when you come into the house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Well, this brings us to our third principle for being a kingdom ambassadors, and that is this, expect opposition. If you are going to be an ambassador for Christ, if we are going to live by faith, we should expect opposition. Now, opposition can come from really three or four sources I would identify. One, there is spiritual warfare involved. The Bible teaches that there are spiritual forces, spiritual beings invisible to us at work in this world that serve the purpose of discouraging, derailing, tempting, leading us astray, etc., so you are going to have oppression and opposition from Satan and from the evil forces. That is to be expected. Every time I've known anyone to take a step of faith, anytime I've seen anyone make a decision in their life to follow God a little bit deeper, a little bit further, do you know what I've observed? That something in their life goes wrong or something gets more difficult. It happens. That is why, if you study the New Testament, there are multiple times when Jesus prepared his disciples for things to get harder. I read in my personal Bible reading this week the, the parable of the, the seed that is sown. We'll see that in a few weeks, that a guy goes out and he plants some seed. And, some, and there's this one type of seed, or, or this one type of ground where the seed starts to grow up. It starts to do well, but then it says that something difficult happens in life and the plant dies. There are other places where Jesus talked about that. Do not assume that because you made a good spiritual decision that the next experience in your life is going to be wonderful. The journey 
How many of God's people you'd say the journey is worth it? The journey has made your life better. But how many of you would say you faced new hardships in following Jesus? But the blessings outweigh the hardships. Expect opposition. It can come from spiritual forces. It can come from just the pressures of the world and the culture that we live in. That we are not... We are not always surrounded by people that are encouraging our faith. That's why the gathering of the people of God, the gatherings of the people of God are so important. To be with, with Christian people as much as you can. It can also come from within our own desires. Where we start to think, well, I think I would like to enjoy this a little bit better than the things of God. There are all different places that opposition could come from. And then sometimes it comes from other people. That is exactly what the, these ambassadors were facing. Jesus says in verse number 15, Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as servant, serpents, and harmless as doves. I've always found that to be such a memorable illustration. I've always remembered that. Be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. I've known some Christians, they, 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 they struggle. They can't put, and, I, and I've been this way. Sometimes we can't put those two creatures together in one. Some Christians are good at being wise as a serpent. They can sort out any falsehood and they can spot anybody that's doing it the wrong way. But then instead of being harm, harmless as a dove, they also bite like the serpent does. We don't want to be Christians that are wise like serpents, but then bite like serpents. But then I've known other Christians that are, they, they just flutter around like the dove, Right? <laughs> Flutter around like the dove, and everything's okay, and it's all going to work out, and just let go and let God, and, and I just, you know, the, the, the dove just flutters away, flutters away. That's not good either. Jesus says, you've got to understand. It was, I don't know, one old preacher used to say, um, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation ground. And you better understand that. It's true, though, isn't it? That it's not a playground, the, the Christian life is a battlefield. And as we go out, eternal things are at stake. And the, 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 the future of our families and our children and our culture really is at play right before us. And we are just called to do our part. But Jesus says, be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. What a great picture is you expect opposition. Now he gives them, he tells them what's going to happen. Verse 17, beware of men. They will deliver you up to the councils. Now this doesn't happen in the, in the, immediately to the disciples. So Jesus is telling them something at the very beginning of their ministry. He's telling them something that's going to happen later on. They will scourge you. That means whip you, beat you. They will beat you in their synagogues. 
You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Well, how would I handle it? How would I respond if I face persecution like other believers have? What about in countries where people are literally arrested for believing in Jesus? We understand that that still exists in the world today, right? That there are still countries, there are still places today where if you simply say, I want to follow Jesus, you can be arrested. It's even worse in some countries, they will allow you to privately believe in Jesus so long as you don't publicly try to convince anyone else to believe in Jesus. If you do that, you can be arrested. So what Jesus spoke about is so foreign to us in America, but it is active today. Those, those Christians that are still persecuted today, they should be heroes of ours. But what would I do? Well, Jesus says, don't think a lot about it, because if you're a true believer... You've truly given your heart to Christ. If you face persecution and you're called to give an answer, it's not you that speak, but it's the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Can I tell you this too, though? In every situation that you face, if you're challenged for your belief in Christ or if you're doubting, get back, let the Holy Spirit give you the words. Don't rely on yourself. Verse 20, it is not you that speak. Verse 21, and the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. This is why, by the way, if you're newer here, we are a verse-by-verse verse kind of church. So what we'll do is we'll take the, we'll take the scriptures and we just work our way through books of the Bible. Because what happens is you come to passages like this that are kind of heavy. And they're kind of serious. And if we just kind of picked and choose what picked and chose which verses that we, we wanted, we might be drawn to look at just the things that, that we like. And so we're careful to look at the whole theme of the book of Matthew. We're careful to look at all of what Jesus had to say. Because we need all of it. We need the, the light and encouraging things, and then we need the warning types of passages that put us on guard a little bit and make us think seriously. And Jesus says a difficult thing here. He says, people will actually hate you because of me. People will hate you because you claim my name. Some of you have experienced that. He said before that sometimes families would turn against each other because of it. Now, I will say this, no Christian, no Christian's behavior should be the cause of any kind of hostility in your family. You're called to live peaceably with all people. In fact, as a Christian, you ought to do every single thing you can to be a positive source of love and encouragement, even in your unbelieving family. And I've watched many of you do that really, really well. And over time, I've seen family members come to know Christ because of that loving, careful testimony. So you shouldn't look for driving a wedge. Should never be Christians should not drive a wedge in their family. You've got to be careful with that. Sometimes in your zeal as a new believer, 
you might go to your family and say, well, I'm a Christian now, and I know what the Bible says, and you've been all doing it wrong for 30 years. Not the best approach, right? However, I've also observed sometimes it's unavoidable. That sadly, sometimes even in families, because you believe in Jesus, as loving as you try to be, your first allegiance is to the Lord. Our first allegiance is to the Lord. Sometimes we can't avoid the div Jesus said that the division would come even in families. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. There is a salvation coming. And no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how much opposition, there is a deliverance coming for, for us. Verse number 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to another city. Don't give up. Just keep going. If it didn't work in that city, if it didn't work in that situation, you, you can expect the opposition. Go somewhere else. For I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. There's a work still to be done. And th this is really interesting too. The whole world has yet to hear the gospel of Jesus even today. There's still a great work to be done. There's still many people to hear. So, and there's still, do you realize there are still people in Berkshire County and, and Bennington County and this little edge of New York where we live? There are still people here who don't know the gospel of Jesus. They haven't heard. And so, yes, you're going to face opposition, but Jesus says, just go to the next person. Don't let that person make you sour and, and down and discouraged and depressed. No, take this, this message of Jesus and go to the next person because there's more work to be done. And it's amazing that all of a sudden you will meet somebody that says, wow, I'm ready to receive Jesus. It'll happen. It will happen. And, you, and most of you are a testimony to that. The disciple is, verse 24, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It's enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, that was basically they called Jesus Satan. If they called me Satan, what else, how much more shall they call him of his household? So verse 26, don't be afraid. Do not be afraid. And this is the last of the principles, number four. Yes, you have kingdom power. You've got to live by faith. You should expect opposition, but then finally, just rest in the care of Jesus. Just rest in his care. He will care for us. Verse 26, fear them not therefore. There's another passage where Jesus says, don't be afraid of people who can only kill your body. I just thought that's like the greatest understatement of all the things Jesus ever said. Hey, you don't got to be afraid of them. All they can do is kill you. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Well, that's encouraging. But isn't that such a, what an amazing perspective. That I was created not just for a, for a temporary life, but I was created for an eternal life. Don't be afraid. If Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid. All they can do is kill you. you. You can be okay because you can be like, hey, don't be afraid of them. All they could do is laugh at you. All they could do is slander you. All they could do is gossip about you. So Jesus says, if they're going to, so think of it this way. 
if they're going to do those things against you and you have no power over it, why would you give them power over fear? Why would you give them the power to make you afraid when you say, well, wait a minute, I'm an ambassador of King Jesus. I have a royal mission. It doesn't matter what anybody else says to me because I have Jesus. Up, oh, he says it here, verse 28. I told you it was coming. And fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Aren't you thankful that if you know Jesus as your Savior, if you've been reconciled to God, that Jesus has your soul in his powerful hand? Jesus says in John chapter 10, that my Father gave them to me, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. People can say things, they can do things, they can even hurt us physically, but no one can touch your soul because you are kept by the power of God. It's amazing. Verse 29, are not two, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. You are better than a bird. I am better than a bird. We did that a few years ago. Mrs. Bailey wrote a poem. It's, I have it in my, in my book somewhere, Better Than a Bird. It's a really beautiful poem after we talked about that in one, uh, one message. Just rest in Jesus' care. That no matter what, there was a storm in the last chapter and the disciples are in the boat in a panic, but Jesus was in the boat, so it was all going to be okay. And there's a storm out there and there's difficulties and you're going to face opposition and, and you're, trying to, you're trying to do it. You're trying to be the good Christian and do all the things that you're supposed to do and follow Jesus by faith. And, but look at this and look at that. It's okay. Just rest. Be at rest because Jesus is in control. He's got this. Verse 32, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. Verse 32 and 33 are sometimes misinterpreted. Verse 32 says, if you confess Jesus before men, okay, that he'll confess you where? In heaven. But then verse 33, but whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Sometimes I think people wrongly take this out of context. This was given to encourage the disciples on their mission. This wasn't given to scare them. The point is this, disciples, you are the ones who believe in me. You confess me before the whole world. There was a whole group of people at this time that were denying Jesus. The whole context here is this, guys, if you are here confessing me before all these people, guess what? God in heaven, your name is being confessed in heaven as a, as a believer. You are mine. Don't worry about those people who deny me. Don't worry about all the ones who are denying me because God will deny them. But there is a hope for the believer there is a confidence for the believer that as we live our lives, yes, we are not perfect. 
Yes, we fail. We don't live by faith. We forget about the power. We cave to opposition so many times. But because we are the ones who confess the name of Jesus, we are forever secure in his hand. We are kept but kept by the power of God, ready to be revealed at the last day, Paul said. That you can be confident that he has got you under control. Then I want to leave you with, we'll skip down just a few verses to verse 37. This is really the mark of true discipleship. He that loveth father or mother more than me, is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Well, these are, these are powerful words of Jesus, aren't they? This is where you have to ask yourself the question, do I really accept that Jesus is Lord and sovereign in my life? That's what he's doing. He's not teaching you to not love your father or not love your children. But he asks you the question, are you prepared to make me your supreme love? This is one of those exclusive claims of Christ. And he that taketh, verse 38, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Only in Jesus, only in Jesus can you let go of every single thing that other people hold dear and find the one thing that people don't realize is what they've been looking for their whole life. Many people came to Christ because they said there was something missing in my life. There's something missing in my life. But it's only when we hear the message of Christ. Yes, you can be reconciled to God through me. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to shed my blood to pay for your sins, to pay for your reconciliation. Are you willing to forsake all and believe in me? Are you willing to turn from your way and to turn from what you value as important? And will you say, Jesus, I trust in you and you alone. You have my life. That's the Christian life. Now, it begins at a moment of conversion. It begins at a time and point where you recognize who Jesus is and you call upon him as your Savior. That moment has to be present in each person's life. You don't accidentally just morph into becoming a Christian. It's a personal decision to say, yes, Jesus, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. I can't be religious enough. I receive you as my Savior. I believe in you. That's the moment where it begins. And then the rest of our lives is just learning how to trust him more, learning how to rest in him more learning how to follow him deeper. So the two questions are this. Number one, have you begun that relationship with Christ? Has there been a time in your life where you have personally received Jesus as your Savior? If you'd say yes, well, praise God. If you'd say no, 
then why don't you make this the time? Why don't you right now, just in a quiet moment, we're going to have a prayer time in about 60 seconds, we're going to start praying. Why don't you pray to receive Christ this morning? Why don't you make this the time where you begin your relationship with God through Christ? So that's the first question. Have you settled that? Second question is, if you have settled that, where are you on your role as an ambassador? How, how seriously are you taking it? How is that living by faith? How is that opposition you're facing? And are you just resting or are you fretting? Let's have a, our quiet time right now. So we'll bow our heads and close our eyes. And as always, I just ask if, if you don't have to move around and you, you can help it, it would be good for us to be still for the next few minutes. This is a prayerful time. Is there anybody here that would say, Pastor Ethan, I'm just not sure that I've ever received Christ as my Savior. But I'd like to make sure. If that's you, right now you can pray something like this. Say, Dear God, Dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. And I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins. I believe you rose again, and I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith and trust in you and you alone. If you've never done that and you made sure today, if you're in, if you're in the room with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I would like to pray for you. I won't call your name out or embarrass you. But if you say, Ethan, I, I'm, I, today I made that decision to put my faith in Christ. Would you just quietly slip your hand up and put it down? Say, yes, today I prayed that. Today I made sure. If you're watching online, would you just send us a private message saying, yes, I, I prayed that today. I made sure. Christians, let's just take a minute as Aaron plays and let's just commit this week ahead to the Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for how you speak to us. We thank you for the Bible and we thank you for our relationship with you. Help us to be a people that speak often of your name and your glory. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd raise up believers in this church that would take the mission seriously and take the call to get the gospel to the world seriously, Lord. And I pray that you'd encourage those that are discouraged, strengthen those who may be facing oppositions. Lord, we have your power. We have your boldness, Lord. I just pray that we would walk in it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire 
is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.